Turn to Matthew 25, continuing our series this morning, Simplify. We talked about simplify to magnify, we talked about priorities, simplify to amplify, to uh, hear God's voice. Last week, simplify to modify, we talked about managing time, glad I'm not doing that one today. Now we're going to talk about simplify to multiply. Simplify to multiply, we're going to talk about finance for a few minutes. The American economy is a very complicated system. I, I, I went online and looked this up uh, just to see how complicated it was. And I found this is a glossary for a course in basic economics. In other words, this gives you the terms that you need to know to understand. The key word here is basic economics. It's 23 pages. Anybody feeling complicated? Let me read some of the terms. Absolute advantage. I feel like that's what banks have. I don't know what that really means. Aggregate demand curve. Capital consumption. Cross elasticity of demand. Oh, sure, I understand that. Deflation, depreciation, deregulation, diminishing returns. I feel like we're seeing that now. Envelope curve. Frictional unemployment. <laughs> Is there any other kind? I don't Gross domestic product, involuntary unemployment, Canadian macroeconomics, principle of diminishing marginal utility, oh sure, quantity theory of money, not really sure what to do with that, rational behavior, what would be the opposite, risk, it's a board game, total factor productivity. 23 pages of one term after another, after another, after another. Have you ever looked at your mortgage paperwork, you know, that you signed in blood, that they'll come get you if you don't pay? It's got, like, it's this thick, and then you pick it up, and stuff starts folding out the bottom. You know what I'm saying? About that thick, press down, sign, sign here, sign here, sign here, sign here, sign here, sign here. There's no way on earth you have a clue what you're signing, and you know it. You just sign because you want a house. Initial this, initial this, initial this, date there, sign there, sign that, sign that. Kills you. You ever looked at the back of your credit card statement? That's all the ways they're going to hang you if you don't do exactly what they tell you. American economics is very complicated. Some people, to escape the complexity... And the struggle of finances have sought a get-rich-quick mentality. This is where gambling and lotteries and all that stuff happen. But you know, winning a lot of money doesn't winning a lot of money doesn't build character; it just reveals it. Let me uh, give you a, a a simple explanation of this. It's a woman at work that learned that she won twenty million dollars from the lottery. So excited. She jumps in her car, she speeds home, she bursts through the front door, she yells to her husband, pack your bags, honey, I just won the lottery. He's jumping up and down in delight and clapping and saying, should I pack for the beach or should I pack for the mountains? Should I pack for the beach or should I pack for the mountains? She said, I don't care, just get out. There'll be another wave in a minute. <laughs> Winning a lot of money doesn't build character. It reveals it. 
Statistics show that lottery winners often go bankrupt, get divorced, have family problems. Houston Press, February 10th, 2000, ran a story about Billy Bob Harold Jr. He's a former Pentecostal preacher and then worked a few other jobs. After being laid off, he ended up being a... Uh, he stocked the electrical aisle at Home Depot. And he was having a hard time supporting his wife and three teenage children. In 1997, he won $31 million Texas State Lottery, the single winner of the $31 million Texas State Lottery. You can Google this. It's a true story. When he arrived with his posse in Austin, Texas to claim the prize, he was told that for the next 25 years he would receive... 20, how does, how does he do that? There. He would receive $1.24 million every year for the next 25 years. Here's what he said at the formal lottery ceremony. Everyone kept telling me it would get better, but I didn't realize it would get this much better. And for a while, it was great. Harold purchased a ranch and six homes for him and his relatives and he and his wife and three teenage kids got brand new cars. He made a large contribution to his church and then his life started to unravel. He was soft-hearted and it seemed like everybody he knew had a need. His spending and his lending continued to spiral out of control. In February 1999, those tensions split his marriage. In May 22, 1990... 20 months, 20 months after hitting the lottery and after only receiving two of his 25-year checks, Harold went to his upstairs bedroom, took off his clothes and pressed a shotgun against his chest and pulled the trigger. After his death, a schism between his children and the grandparents continued to widen. They couldn't even agree on whether or not he killed himself. An intra-family war continued for years, may still be going, over the remaining fortune, which may not even be enough to pay a state tax. Shortly before his death, Harold confided to a financial advisor, winning the lottery is the worst thing that ever happened to me. Matthew chapter 25, 14 through 19 Finances can be very complicated. What I want to share with you in the next few minutes is simplify, simplify to multiply. Simplify to multiply. Matthew 25, 14. Jesus is telling a story and he's saying this is what the kingdom of God will be like. And he says, again, it, when he says it, he means the kingdom of God. It will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his poverty, I'm sorry, his poverty, his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid the master's money. 
After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. I know there are a lot of uh, relevant applications to this passage. However, this morning, I don't want us to miss the plain one. Jesus gave these three people in this story, these three people were given money. I know it can be equated to giftings and talents and really a host of things. But in this story, I don't want us to miss the plain, the plain reading that Jesus gave these three people a talent. Talent is money. Money. It says this man went and buried his money in the ground. This man went and did this with his money. And then Jesus gave it to them for a time and then came back to see what they did with it. And this whole story really talks to us about financial stewardship. You, you and I are stewards of everything. What, what we have doesn't belong to us, it belongs to God. Now to understand that more clearly, ask yourself this question. In a hundred years, who's going to own what you have now? Not you. Not me. And if we're not going to own in a hundred years what we have now, maybe we don't own it now. Maybe we just think we do. Maybe we just live in the myth that life is not as long as we think. And those things are really passing through and we've been set up as stewards for that time. Finances are listed as the number one stress in marriages and are cited as a problem in most divorces. Now, I want to give you four simple things this morning. Simplify to multiply. Some of you are going to listen to this and go, I already knew all of that. Because they're going to be simple. But I do just want to remind you, the Christian life and life in the kingdom is not about what we know. It's about what we do. So maybe if I remind you of some things you already know, and maybe, maybe as I've studied this, the Holy Spirit's reminded me some things I already knew. Maybe I can put them into practice in a greater way. Let me give you the first one. Four simple things. Simplify your finances to multiply. You ready? You taking notes? It's going to blow you away. It's going to rock your world. Cut expenses. Killing you, isn't it? 43% of families spend more than they earn every year. Almost half in America spend more than they earn every year. Living on the edge like that will kill you because there's no margin. That's why in most divorces, that one of the top pressures that's listed is financial pressure. Because constantly living on the edge and it and it just chews you up it tears you up the average american household that has credit card debt not that has a credit card that has credit card debt is carrying fourteen thousand seven hundred and fifty dollars on their credit card in debt americans if you want to look up some interesting things about credit cards go to creditcard.com i'd never heard of it found it last night there are 300 million Americans in America. There are 608 million credit cards. What does that tell you? Houston, we have a problem. 
you're taking notes, let me give you a, a simple formula for building wealth. Are you ready? A simple formula for building wealth. Spend less than you make over a long period of time. You're blown away, aren't you? Pens are smoking all over the building. Spend less than you make over a long period of time. Let me give you some, some tips to cut expenses. These are kind of simple. Uh, you can, eating out is where a lot of American money goes. You can eat out less or you can eat out cheaper. Some of the things that our families learn to do, if you'll cut, if you'll cut appetizers, drinks, and desserts, you will rock your restaurant bill. Two dollars for for a, a a soda is somebody's probably making a lot of money. So what we do is I go to all those places that charge you a dollar for a drink, or if we go to the two dollar ones, we say we're going, but we're drinking water. So there's a lot of things you can do. Avoid unnecessary fees, ATM, late charges, late fees. Here's what I say: late fees or waste fees. It's called fool's tax. It's a tax you don't have to pay. Financial Times reported. That every year in America, $38 billion is what banks make from overdraft fees alone. $38 billion. And I know no one in this room has overdraft fees. It's those other people. Cut all unnecessary insurances. Now, I don't mean health or auto or the things that, like they come and arrest you if you don't have. What I mean is, uh, well, let me give you an example. Back when they used to have stores where you could go rent movies, anybody remember that? It's like a hundred years ago. You'd go in and pick a DVD, and I remember going to the counter, and they said, would you like some kind of scratch-resistant insurance on your DVD for a quarter? <laughs> what kind of scam are you running? Insurance for a quarter? Everything you buy has insurance attached to it because it is a scam. If you will reject most of the insurance you offered in your life, you will save more money than you ever spend when something bad happens like you scratch a DVD. You can pay for the DVD 39 times on what you're going to pay in your lifetime on, on those kind of insurances. So you can cut a lot of those things. And by the way, that is the way the American economy has learned to prey on our fear. Where are you going to come up with the extra $39? Or where are you going to come up with your v- Remember, I remember when I followed up my first VCR. It's going to sell me insurance on it. Come clean that. But it's $400 VCR. $100 in insurance. Now, I could buy three VCRs for $100. See, I'm, I'm just saying there might be a scam in there. Learn to enjoy things without owning them. You know, owning is an obsession in our culture because we think if we own it, we can control it. And we think if we can control it, it'll give us more pleasure. But the truth is, a lot of times once we control it or we own it, we realize it controls us and the pleasure's gone. Think about prioritizing. Most of the time in American life, most of, if you compare us to the rest of the world, most of our needs are met. When we talk about cutting expenses, most of the time what we're talking about is cutting wants. What I would just encourage you to do is just figure out what your, what your top three or four things in life you really want and go after them. And it's okay to have some wants. I think that's part of God's blessing on our life. Go after them. 
But if you go after them randomly, you'll realize some of the most important things are, are uh, left behind. Simplify to multiply, prioritize your wants. Here's number two. This, this one's going to rock you. Number two. Number one's cut expenses. Number two, save. Save. Proverbs 13, 11 in the New Century Version says, Money that comes easily disappears quickly, but money that is gathered little by little will grow. The message says, Easy come, easy go, but steady diligence pays off. You know, really consistency is the key in saving. Save something, save anything, save, but the key is start now. There's an experiment done years ago where uh, these guys were debating on one of these huge metal beams that is made to construct large skyscrapers. Uh, one guy said to another guy, I think I can make a cork move that beam. There's no way you can do it. He took a cork on a line and he popped it back and forth against that huge, maybe, maybe ton or half ton beam. And, and that cork kept tapping it for six hours that beam didn't move. But in seventh hour, that beam started to sway a little bit. And as they continued that experiment, that beam continued to swing like a pendulum on a clock. You know why? A little is a lot if it's done consistently. Consistency is the key in saving. Remember, remember what the secret to building wealth is? Spend less than you make over a long period of time. Here's the third one. Reduce debt. Reduce debt. 92% of American families' disposable income is now spent against debt. 92% credit cards, cars, house. Consumer debt peaked in 2008. 2008 consumer debt was at an all-time high. And according to CNN Money, consumer debt has been cut by $1 trillion since its peak in the summer of 2008. The trend is Americans are waking up and starting to cut their debt. But we still have a long way to go. As of September 30th of last year, consumer debt is $11.6 trillion. So the good news is we shaved a trillion. You know, little terms. But we still have quite a bit to go. Proverbs 22.7 says, The Bible doesn't for... Uh, Proverbs 22.7, let's look at it. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. I don't think that the Bible condemns debt. I think the Bible warns against it. Some people take it as a law. You should never, never have debt for any reason. I don't think the Bible... I don't think it's a law. I do think it's a warning. If you go into debt, just realize you're going to become the servant... Of the lender. Man, that became very clear in mine and Stacy's life when Hurricane Katrina struck and we tried, we had to refinance our mortgage because we missed two mortgage payments because we didn't have a post office. (laughs) They said, couldn't you just mail it in? Yeah, the post office is gone. Well, couldn't you, couldn't you just wire it electronically? No electricity. What do you want me to drive it there? The gas stations are closed. Hello? No comprehension. I was the first person in our mortgage company's uh, process to go through Hurricane Katrina refinancing. And finally, one of them broke down and told me, look, you're the first one we dealt with, and we don't know what to do. Could I quote that? (laughs) Could I get your employee number? 
And we went through it and through it and through it and through it. And I'm just going to tell you, they'll, they jerked me around and sent me along this long trail and sent me this reconciliation packet that was so complicated I couldn't hardly understand it. And I couldn't find a lawyer to read it because they didn't have any houses. And they said, you have to have this notarized by a legal notary and returned in 48 hours or the deal is off. Off. And I thought, I, 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 we're, running, we're running a distribution center. We have thousands of people coming through our property, getting food and medical care. I'm trying to read that and save my home and say, I don't even know, I don't even know if I understand this. What do I do? We're not in our sanctuary. The roof's half torn off. And I'm, I, don't, I don't even know what this means, but I've got 48 hours to figure it out. Put it in the mail. And I'm going to tell you, the wisdom of Solomon in Proverbs is true. You have debt you will be the servant of the lender. You will be the servant of the lender. And I just want to encourage you, as quickly as you can, make a beeline across the American frontier and pay your debt off. It will bless you and bless your family. Here's the last thing, and, and I know we're, we've pushed on time today, so I, I've, I've moved through this quickly. Simplify to multiply. Cut expenses, save, reduce debt. Number four, tithe and practice generosity. If you're looking for simplicity, God has engineered a sheer miracle on this one. 10% of all you have. Simple. This... It's what the American like mortgage company and economic policy, 23 pages of terms, 10% of all that you have. It's, it's just simple. God functions in the, in the depth of his own character, but the simplicity of human understanding. And he makes it so that we can grab it. The first 10% of all you have, I would say, I always, I've heard people through the years say, well, I, I don't believe in uh, tithing, I believe in grace, and that was under law. And this, uh, what's interesting to me, though, is, is I always want to ask, has your grace theology led you to give more than 10% of your income? And if it hasn't, I'm curious on the motive of their theology. I, I'm, I'm for grace. I, I, think, I think every person who is transformed by God's grace and receives it as their theology for life and cast off every structure, uh, l l legal structure of the Scripture will end up outperforming all of them. So I'm, I'm okay with it as long as it shows up in our doing, as long as it shows up in our lifestyle. But I do want to say to you, the first 10% of all we have belongs to the Lord, and I think it's the minimum place to start. And I, and I don't think tithing is being generous. I think tithing is the basic responsibility in the kingdom to our spiritual family. I want to ask you something. What if generosity became the only difference in the world that the world could tell between Christians and non-Christians? I've actually seen this in practice. When Hurricane Katrina hit, it wasn't, it wasn't uh, Muslims. It wasn't Hindus, it wasn't Buddhist, it wasn't the federal government, it wasn't our tax money, it wasn't any of those things. The word on the street and the Gulf Coast, I can tell you, from Mobile to New Orleans is the Christian's generosity did it.
The federal government representatives were paid to be there and did a worse job than the Christians who showed up who paid out of their own money to be there. Who paid twice. They paid the taxes to send those guys and paid to send themselves. I'm convinced Christians ought to be and are the most generous people on earth. I'm convinced of it. And I think no place does our light shine greater than when we walk in Christ-like generosity. Maybe you say this morning, uh, you know, I, I, I can't afford to tithe. Can I just say to you, maybe one of the reasons that you can't afford to tithe is because you haven't tithed. Do you understand what I'm saying? I, I want to say these things in love, but I just want to say them to you as we're talking about simplifying. God has not made His plan for our economy complicated. We've made it complicated. And so if you think about the things the Scripture gives you, in other words, some of the financial challenges you're facing, you may be facing because you've never aligned yourself with God's economy and brought yourself up under His covering. I want to, I want to say a couple things about tithing. Pastor Mike, if you'd come. This is a phenomenally generous church. Your reputation spans further than you know. I promise you. I'm, I'm proud of you and I'm honored to be part of you. And, and every year, eight or nine times, we bring missionaries into this place. And I'm telling you, missionaries love to come to Kingwood Church. Because they know your heart, they know your reputation, and you give five to $10,000 to missionaries, and I'm telling you, they can make up in one weekend with you, one five-minute spot with you, they can make up what it may take them three months of traveling on the road to, to gain in their budget to get overseas. You, you are a phenomenally generous, generous church, but I do, want you to, I do want you to hear this this morning, and I want to say it to you in love. You can be a part of a generous church... And not be a generous person. It's very exciting to be a part of a generous church. But you can never let that translate into your own life. Now, I don't know, I don't know who tithes and I don't know who doesn't tithe. And, uh, but simple economics tells me that, that we have people in our spiritual family who, who don't tithe. And I just as we wrap up this morning, I want to make a simple case to you for tithing. Here's the first thing. You're not an owner, you're a steward. The little story that Jesus told those men in Matthew 25 is true. He's coming again and he will ask for an account on the gifts, the time, yes, all of that. But he will ask for an account on the money he gave you. And it'll be clear, as you look in his eyes, it'll be clear to him, it never was yours, it never was mine, it was his. And he gave it for a span of time. And he will want to know one day what we did with it. How can you possibly be a good steward and not tithe? I don't think you can. The second thing is this. If everyone in our church tithed, we could do everything we're doing now, cut some funds out that we ask you to give to, accelerate our payoff on our debt and move into this community with such a force into this world take on new missionaries it would be it would be phenomenal 80% of the american church is supported 80% of north american church income 
comes from people 55 years and older. So I want everybody 54 and under to hear me for a minute. In the next 10 to 15 years, what kind of church you and I will give our children will be decided. And I just want to encourage you today cut expenses save reduce debt tithe and be generous we are moving into a time where life is changing get your house in order now it may take a year it may take five years you may have had some really difficult circumstances it may take ten years but can I encourage you It's worth it. It'll be worth it. Because the opportunities in a country that is struggling are going to continue to increase. The opportunities for ministry and those that are ready will be able to move. And those those that aren't are going to be dragging weights. And I want to encourage you to get ready. I want to end with this story. And I, I know we're late. We've had a full morning. Psalm 126, 5 and 6. Psalm 126, 5 and 6. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. There's a fascinating story by a missionary named Dale Tarr. He said, I never understood what that verse meant. Until the 15 years I spent in a desolate part of Africa as a missionary. But he said four months of the year we'd have the rainy season. It would rain and it would rain. And there would be joy and everything would come alive. And it's like everything that Africa is would just become become alive. Everything was living. And what would happen is the, the um, Africans would take uh, a certain seed harvest, a wheat Whatever, whatever it was. And they would mash it down with water and make it into a paste. And they would eat that. But as the eight months, the eight month drought would come. Dry and dry. The food supplies would start to diminish. And there's no way to replenish them until the rains come again. And he said as, as they would come around into December and January and February. The food would start to diminish. And the families would go on two meals a day instead of three. And then they would go down to one meal a day instead of two. And then the parents would stop eating and they would give their children food. And he tells a story about a little boy that came running into his dad one day and said, Dad, I found food we can eat. So where did you find it? He said, I found an old sack hanging up on the side of the house around the back. And it's got seed in it. Dad, we, we can eat. We can eat. We can make that into paste and we can eat. And his dad said... That's for sowing. Next rainy season. We can't eat it. And he had to look his son in the eye. Deltar says he heard this. Look his son in the eye with tears and say. Starving. Swollen little belly. I can't let you eat it. And then he said the most incredible thing would happen. In the middle of the summer. Every year some people would die off. Because they couldn't survive the starvation. But every summer the rains would come. 
And he said dads would go out and they'd take that little knapsack up off the back of the house. They would walk out in the fields and they would do the most unimaginable thing. They would take that seed, the only thing that stood between their family and starvation, and they would throw it into the fields. And he said those men would go out, tears would be running down their face. You could see every one of them crying, throwing that seed out. And do you know why? Because they believe in harvest. Because they believe in harvest. The Bible says, if you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. If you sow generously, you'll reap generously. In Del Tar's notes, he said, if you were to stand in an African church in that part of the region of Africa, you would hear them stand and exalt their people on Sunday morning. And he said they would say, over and over, brothers and sisters, this is God's law of the harvest. Don't expect to rejoice later unless you're willing to sow in tears now. And they would live that cycle over and over. Would you stand with me this morning?